Legends, welcome back to another episode of A Need to Read. I'm happy to be here and I'm grateful that you are listening. Now this episode is on How to Change by Katie Milkman. It is a comprehensive look at behaviour change. Now we can't just assume that as people we are a finished product. Although the sentiment that we are enough as we are is a lovely Sentiment, we can always get better at communicating compassion, we can build better habits, we can change our behaviours so that they support our lifestyle in a way that is just generally quite helpful as opposed to the less helpful behaviours that we probably already display. So being enough is great but also recognising that there is scope for change is quite a mature way to look at things. But before we get going on that, just a reminder, if you like what I do or you think I'm alright as a person, please consider sharing the episode just so that, of course, one day I can be amazingly rich and famous from the podcast or you just think it's helpful and it can help other people out. Um, whichever one of those suits your bias for me, <laughs> I just want you to share it because I want more people to listen to the podcast because I genuinely think it makes a difference to some. So yeah, you know what to do, share it on Instagram, tell your mum, who cares? Before we get into the episode, just a quick note from the sponsors of the podcast. BetterHelp sponsor the podcast and I'm so grateful that they do. There are hundreds of Need to Read listeners that have already signed up and gone to therapy and I'm getting consistently good feedback from those that use it. Now, if you find yourself in a position where you're going to friends or family members for advice or support with your mental health and it's just not quite cutting it, then going to therapy is something that I would strongly suggest that you consider. I've been going to therapy for about two years and I think in terms of my personal development journey, it has been key to getting myself to the position that I'm in now which essentially is a better, well-rounded human who is more in touch with their emotions and is able to display vulnerability far easier than I ever had done before. Now, if any of that sounds like it's for you, then consider going to BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash need to read. You get 10% off your first month. And going through the questionnaire, honestly, from the moment you click on the link to when you click purchase will be at 10 minutes. It'll be matched with a therapist within 48 hours. That's betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read so how to change by katie milkman i would suggest even though i'm going to do quite a comprehensive review and potential summary of this book in this episode if you are a coach or if you help people change their behavior in any way please buy this book as a favor not only to yourself but to the people around you because being able to give the advice or to give little nuggets from this book will serve you in the long run hugely. So coaches, please listen up to this podcast. Now, when it comes to behavior change, one of the main things that's sort of highlighted in this book is that it should be treated as if it were a chronic illness. There are no quick fixes when it comes to behavior change. You know, on Instagram, people are like, hey guys, 15 days until you won't do something anymore. It doesn't work like that because you're always going to have things that like distract you or want to pull you back towards a behavior that you're trying to move away from. And one of the most powerful quotes that's at the start of the book is just empowering people that they are capable of change, but just knowing that it kind of takes a while. And that quote is, by diagnosing the internal obstacles you face and consistently using solutions customized to help you succeed, Evidence and experience suggest you really can get from where you are to where you want to be. 
And that is the whole premise of the book, is getting from where you are to where you want to be. And I said at the start, of course, it's a lovely sentiment that we're all currently enough as we are, but we all behave like a little bit of a knob to ourselves sometimes. We do things against what we actually want. And this book essentially helps you recognise the areas where your mind will trick you in that sense. And there are so many influences on behaviour change and it is going to be a skill that you'll use for life because you're never going to be enough for yourself, unfortunately. You can do all the self-compassion but there's always going to be some sort of behaviour you want to change. Maybe you pick up a new skill, maybe you want to build a new habit. But essentially, it's going to happen throughout your life so learning how to get out of your way is really, really important. The book is split up into like eight chapters. The end one is just a conclusion. So there's seven quite important chapters in this book and they have some 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 are obvious solutions um, to behaviour change and some are just observations on when people change behaviour best. Now, just to start this off with something that is quite obvious and that is when you get started, we all fall prey to the fresh start effect and that's why everyone sets New Year's resolutions you know, new year, new me, all of that stuff. We tend to think of our lives as episodic rather than like a continuum of time that we actually live in, right? And when you move to a new chapter, you're able to adopt this like new identity, this new sort of sense of who you are. And that directly impacts your behavior because you're labeling yourself as something new. So you know, it's probably on Mondays, you go to the gym, Tuesday, you go to the gym, Wednesday, you go to the gym, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nah, because it's easier to do things with a fresh start. And even if that's just a week or even a day, I think people have this when it comes to like binging and stuff like that. Like they'll just write off a day and then wait for the next day. There's so many different things. I know that's not my forte, but that was that was the example um, that came to my head just then. And people feel distance, right, from their past failures when they get a fresh start. So, like, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, 2020 was a right, right off, wasn't it? And I can guarantee there'll be people thinking that about 2021. It's like, yeah, 2021 was not my year. I'm going to just head into 2022. I'm going to smash it. I'm going to reach all my goals. And it's like, well, I know it's annoying that we all seem to wait for fresh starts, but they do tend to work. So one thing I've kind of come to grips with the more I've read about psychology and biases and stuff like that is like rather than fight against it rather than swim upstream why not just go with it why not just be like yeah well this is this is how my brain tricks me so I'm just going to work with it so why don't we do that so when it comes to behavior change maybe don't start it on a Wednesday just do it on a Monday or the start of a new month so you can draw yourself down a nice load of new new circles that you can fill up when you've completed your new behavior and I spoke to my therapist about this because I was like right well in in 2022 I'm going to quit vaping she's like well why are you going to do that and I was like well here's the thing Anna I have now read a book that says that a fresh start effect is real and I'm just not going to bother fighting my biases so maybe you can use this as an excuse um, for whoever you talk to about your behavior change or you can just use it as a logical way to be like, right, I'll change this behaviour then. As long as you actually do it at the fresh start. Because if you don't do it at the fresh start, then you kind of know that you were tricking yourself all along. So the second chapter in the book was on impulsivity. And I'll start this off with a story. So in Sweden, there is a train station or metro station called Odenplan. I don't know if I've pronounced that right. But in 2009, a team from VW put pianos on the steps there so they made it so it make noise 
they changed something from being a boring set of stairs to being something quite fun to do in an attempt to get people to go up the stairs more. Just by putting a, a makeshift, like, large-scale toy piano on the steps, 66% of commuters took the stairs instead. And the main sort of key there to take away is that doing the right thing is never really that fun. Getting up and meditating, like, it's not fun. I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, my God, buzzing to meditate, can't wait to be filled with energy and fun vibes after that. I would get that from surfing, but not necessarily from meditating. So we know that doing the right thing isn't always going to be the thing that we're we're really keen to do. Um, in the book, they refer to impulsivity as the present bias, which is actually quite a smart way of putting it, and it does make you sound a little bit more fancy. So, if someone's like, "Oh, you're impulsive," it's like, "Oh no, I've just got a I've just got a strong present bias." Um, so obviously, that just means that you can sound smarter to your friends, which. I mean, maybe that's all this podcast's all about. Maybe I've only ever just wanted to sound smarter for my friends. Um, anyway, back to what we're talking about. When it comes to making things fun, like putting a piano on stuff, the, the book uses Mary Poppins as an example. And I love this, by the way, because it's nice when you use things that are quite nostalgic as a example when trying to explain something that's relatively complex but also quite easy and he says that Mary Poppins had it right and you know in the film it's like in every job that must be done there is an element of fun you find the fun and snap the job's a game now how true is that when you make stuff fun you're more likely to do it and I'd use the example of reading because there are some of you listening who probably don't find reading that fun or relaxing or you don't really find the time to do it but you still want to get the information from the books in now maybe you go for an afternoon walk or you go to the gym so what about audiobooks there is a in my link tree everybody you can get an audio book for free from audio audible if you haven't got it already full disclosure i'd get fiverr um if you signed up but isn't that great? You get to give me a fiver without actually doing it and you get a free audiobook. So look for that link in the link tree, which will be on the Instagram or in the description of this episode. Um, but yeah, why not just pair something that you enjoy doing with something that you don't enjoy doing that much? And I'd love it if you did enjoy reading or if you did enjoy learning, but not everyone's like that. Not everyone's that way inclined. So once again, we're using this to our advantage of being like, yeah, this isn't that fun for me, but... I want to learn. So you just you make something boring fun. They call it temptation bundling, essentially. So making something more enjoyable by combining it with something that you already enjoy. Already enjoy. So it just encourages you to do it a little bit more, essentially. And you can do that in loads of different things. So maybe it's like cooking dinner. Like I absolutely hate cooking. And... Now that I'm speaking about this, I realise I'm not practising what I preach, so I'll probably try this today, of listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook whilst I cook, just because I hate doing it. So soon soon come the cookbook from Ed Cunningham, because I'll start practising what I preach and doing the temptation bundling. And there's actually something quite interesting on this a little bit later in the podcast as well. Another part of behaviour change that people seem to fall 
fall into the trap of, and I know everyone does, is procrastination. So procrastination, it happens all the time. Like when I, I'm, I'm doing this podcast right now and I'm fighting the urge to go and do something else. Even though I love doing this, procrastination is a natural part of life. We get sucked into it so easily. So how do you fight procrastination? I could hear you, I can hear you thinking it. Deadlines, and deadlines suck, right? But everyone knows the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. They made it into a Disney film, Beauty of the Beast, I'm pretty sure. Maybe they didn't. Maybe that was a lie. Anyway, Victor Hugo, the guy who wrote that, he was a bit of a socialite back in Paris, back in the day. Um, and when he was pretty desperate to meet the deadline of from his publishers for the book, he locked up all of his clothes, meaning essentially he'd be too embarrassed to leave the house. So he had to hit the deadline so he could unlock his clothes. And of course, he could have just gone and unlocked the clothes, but then he'd be letting himself down. But if he was procrastinating by going out and socialising, which I think quite a few people tend to do, I know it's lovely to see your friends, but sometimes there are things that we have to do, it's quite a good idea. And another way you can do it is a cash commitment. So put some money on the line with yourself. I mean, get it on the line with someone else, so you're more likely to do it. But people are far less likely to break their commitments when they've got money to lose. So like quitting smoking... There was a study in the book that said that basically people over a six-month period were putting a certain amount of money away each week and they could only access it at the end of the six months if they'd quit smoking and they passed like a nicotine test. And they just found that, I can't remember the specific details of it, but the people that put money away and made a cash commitment made a far better attempt at the behaviour change than people that didn't. The main thing really when it comes to procrastinating is just being able to acknowledge that we don't have, like, that much willpower, right? I always say you can train your willpower, but your willpower is... Maybe I'm contradicting myself from another podcast here, but I'd say your willpower is fine out there. There is only a certain amount that you can have um, per day. And in the book, he speaks of the words um, sophisticates and naifs, which I, I could be butchering the di- um, pronunciation of. But sophisticates are those who recognise that constraints can be useful or essentially like your hand cuffing yourself so that you get something done and naifs which i mean i I guess that's a play on the word naive here are those who don't recognize the usefulness of it so essentially knowing the weakness of your own willpower is kind of a power in itself because you can you can play against yourself there as much as we'd love to think that we're conscious human beings that always do things in service of ourselves, we're not our brains want to keep us comfortable. Our brains want to do the instantly gratifying thing. So using going back to the cash commitment, any sort of commitment device, anything that reduces your freedom in terms of a longer-term goal is going to be useful for you. You can use hard commitments like money or anything else that's tangible, or you can do something soft like pride or guilt. So like make a public announcement that you're going to train X amount of times a week or make a public announcement Tell me, I'll I'll tell you what, tell me how many books you're going to read by the end of the year and I will put the emails of people that did that and I will be checking in with you in the new year. Legit, actually do that. Because I've said that thinking, oh, will I actually do that? And yeah, I will because the whole purpose of this is getting people to read more. So if you can email me to aneedtoread.podcast at gmail.com with the amount of books you're going to read by the end of the year and then come New Year's Day, I'm going to check on you. 
And then maybe next year, I'll just get a load of commitments off people where they can say, oh, I'm going to read 20 books next year or 30 books next year. And that'll be a good way for everyone to kind of hold each other accountable. And you're putting pride on the line because, I mean, I'm not going to shame you if you don't hit the target, but maybe I will. If you want me to do that, I'm more than happy to do that. Give me something to do with my days. Anyway, that's on procrastination. Procrastination is natural. We all do it. It's just about playing a game against yourself and you want to be the winner. The conscious you wants to beat the unsub, the subconscious you, essentially. Now, the next part on this is about forgetfulness. But before I move on to that part of the podcast, just a quick word from the new sponsor of A Need to Read. So A Need to Read is now partnered with Heights, the all-in-one brain care supplement, which sounds like garbage. And honestly, I thought it was the same until I started using it. I've been using it for a month so far, and I'm already noticing a slight improvement on my sleep and a reduction in anxiety. Now, research suggests it can take up to four months to replenish your brain. But within the first month, obviously, you know the benefits I've been having. Now, if you take them before bed, if you can't sleep that well, there's a little secret hack for you. You'll have a great night's sleep. I partnered with them to give you 10% off any subscription and I honestly couldn't recommend them enough. So use the code need to read with the number two and follow the link in the description for 10% off. When you subscribe with the discount, it literally costs you less than a pound a day to feel on top of your game, which I would say is a pretty good deal. And the code is need to read with the number two and the link is in the description. And I honestly can't wait for you guys to start using this because I can't wait to hear the benefits that you're getting as well. So before we get into the forgetfulness, I just want to say a note on that. The sponsors of this podcast, it's something that I hold quite precious to me because I want to make sure that anything I promote or talk about on the podcast is something that is useful, something I find cool and something that I use myself. I've literally partnered with BetterHelp, Headspace and Heights. There are three brands. I've had multiple offers from other companies that just don't align with my values I've been using it now for over a month. I'm feeling the benefits, so I'm more than happy to promote it. I'll get my family onto it and I'll get my friends onto it because I truly believe in the product. Now, I know that that just sounds like I'm covering my ass there, but that essentially is because it does. I would hate for anyone to think that I lack integrity. It's one of my key values. So there you go. But back to the podcast, the bit that you're actually interested in and back to the bit on forgetfulness because that can get in the way of behavior change quite easy. Now, in the book, she discusses a load about people who vote and people who register to vote and then actually just forget to go and vote. It's not that people just flake out on purpose, but it was 54% of registered voters in um, the US. When they told someone they were voting, they flaked out. And evidence suggests, unfortunately our sort of word and our intentions, they are only very loosely predictive of what we actually do. Now, adults on average forget about three things per day. And when it comes to trying to remember all these behaviours that you're trying to change, it's no wonder that we forget it sometimes. We forget it to the point that you're like, oh my God, it's too fucking late for me to bother doing that, so I'm not going to. So how can you combat that? Refer it back to like James Clear's Atomic Habits. If you haven't read that book, of course, Please read it. I think it is the best book on habits ever. This How to Change book is probably the best behavior change book and a more sort of deep and scientific base just because of the examples that she gets. But you have to make something obvious. Whatever behavior you're trying to change, 
you've got to make sure that it's easy for you to do. If you want to read before bed, put your book on your pillow. Because that way, when you go to bed, get into bed, you'll be like, oh my God, my book's there. Or you see where the TV remote is in your lounge, go and put a book on top of that. So you're like, oh yeah, I did say I was going to read more. Um, but I'm just about to turn on TV because obviously I'm a human being and that's what I do. Oh, but the book's there. It makes it easier for you to sort of stick to the behaviour. So it's, it's, it's essentially about cue-based stuff. And I didn't take a great deal from that chapter, even though there were sort of nice nice to know things in there. But because I'd read Atomic Habits, that chapter wasn't that great for me. But chapter five, laziness. Laziness sucks, but we're all pretty lazy. I think we're all quite inherently lazy. And there are those people out there like, hey, I get up and do this, I get up and do that, I get up and do this. I mean, I could be seen as one of those people, but that's because I do nothing in the evenings. My body clock is just wired that... From like 5.30, I'm pretty much ready to go. But then as soon as it hits about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm ready to go to sleep. So I think everyone's kind of got their own time of day when they're least lazy. So use that to your advantages. Now, we obviously have a tendency to take the path of least resistance because it's the easy route. And it's nice. It's lovely to do the easy route. But it definitely stands in the way of sort of behavior change. And we always just stick to the default in life. Think about, right, if you've bought a computer or a phone recently, have you changed any of the default settings? Because probably not, right? We're just happy with default. Think about moving your apps around if you're spending too much time on any particular app. The more you actually sort of put a barrier in the way of the negative behaviours that you want to change. I'm not talking about the positive ones that you want to build now. The more of a barrier you put in the way, the less likely you are to do it. So when there was a there was a study on doctors in the US, doctors in the US in a certain hospital were getting fined about 17 million per year because that was by the insurance companies, by the way, because they were just prescribing the most expensive medications to their patients. I had to think about what what word for a doctor's client was, and it's obviously a patient. So they were getting massive fines, and the company was involved, and they're like, right, well, how how do we change this? That company stopped getting fined by the insurers because they completely stopped prescribing the more expensive medications and went back to the default ones that the exact same sort of chemical makeup, they're just loads cheaper because they're not attached to a massive brand name completely eradicated within two years just by putting a tick box on the prescription form of like okay would you like the more expensive medication i'm sure it wasn't laid out in those sort of explicit terms but just one tick box completely eradicated the problem because we're inherently lazy even doctors right so if you're lazy don't worry about it even doctors are pretty lazy isn't that mental completely eradicated fines within a couple of years just because they put a tick box in there which meant the doctors were like nah too much effort not bothering with it so it just goes to show we're inherently lazy when it comes to your habits you're going to forget stuff and you're going to be a bit lazy every now and then and then we're going back to forgetfulness there um but you just need to be flexible so when life gets in the way and you do get a little bit 
lazy and you miss a, miss a session or you miss whatever you're meant to do that day, you don't just throw the towel in and be like, yeah, I'm not doing it. But on that note of flexibility, think about streaks. Now, I absolutely love streaks. And I have to be careful not to get too obsessed because, well, basically my therapist told me so because I... <laughs> I will be like, right, I'm doing this every day. It's the heart of who I am, part of who I am. And it gets to the point where it's just really stressing me out. That I'm just trying to do too many things all at once. But if you're not one of those people who has a propensity to get obsessed with things, think about aiming for streaks. But then also if you are one of those people kind of like me who has a has a tendency to be like, right, well, I'm obsessed now just make sure that you miss a day like once a week and that you're comfortable doing so because I think when you get into a habit of doing something every day it can actually then be quite difficult to break the habit and to actually allow yourself to rest so when you feel uncomfortable because you're not doing something sit with those feelings and see what comes up with you Um, because that's what my therapist told me to do maybe if you've got a therapist you can speak to them about that yourself which I'd probably suggest doing but yeah essentially Aim for streaks. Use a tracking app that keeps you accountable. Draw a load of circles in in your diary or your journal and, and keep filling those up as, as the days go on. As long as you can see it, you know, what get measure, measured gets improved and all of that. Just aim for streaks. And then maybe it'll be pride. Maybe it'll be the fact that you just don't want to break the streak. I think that's kind of the space, like I, I'm out with headspace. I'm on like 511 days in. I just never want to see that number drop to <laughs> drop to below 500, so I just keep meditating every day. And sometimes I worry, oh my God, am I doing it just for the benefits of it or am I doing it just for the streak? And I honestly couldn't give you an answer to that, which is a shame. So at some point, I'm going to have to let go of the streak, uh, but I'm very nervous about that day. But that doesn't mean to say that you'll be at that position because it might take you 500 days to get there. So let's get there first before we worry about that part. Confidence and conformity are two other parts that influence behavior change. Now, a lot of failures when it comes to changing behaviors are down to self-doubt or um, there's a word called self-efficacy. It's a word that I learned in the book. And it basically says a person's confidence in their ability to control their own behavior, motivation and social circumstances. Depends. Ask yourself that question now. Do I have a high or low level of self-efficacy? I would say that mine is relatively full, but I acknowledge the weakness that we have as human beings and the biases that we fall prey to, especially that present bias, you know, smart way of saying impulsivity. So, yeah, it's self, self-doubt self and lack of self-efficacy can really get in the way there. And when it comes to sticking at a behaviour... Something I've found really useful, and it it is in the book as well, actually, and I'll I'll explain how it is, is using someone who's like an accountability partner. So you can have someone, you both go to each other for advice. So like when when it comes to helping others, giving advice isn't necessarily the best thing to do. But when you have an accountability partner, you can both say to each other, oh, what do you think you should do to stick at this? Or what do you think you should do? And firstly, by asking them that question, what do you think you should do? You're empowering them to make the decision themselves, which is amazing because they're going to feel, they're not going to feel lowly for you giving them advice so that you're at a higher position than them. 
it's a great way. To, it, essentially, if anyone comes to you with a problem, before you give them any advice, just say to them, what do you think you should do? So aside from the accountability partners thing. But once you've done that, ask them if you can give them advice. Because giving advice is good for you. It makes you feel like you know more. You're more likely to take your own advice. They say the advice you give is the advice you need. So, I mean, if we're going to go science, a cool way of saying this is the saying is believing effect, which sounds like bullshit, but essentially the more advice you give to someone else on something, the more likely you're going to recognise where you're not taking your own advice, which, of course, will make your behaviour change efforts more successful. And they do this in Alcoholics Anonymous. So they use sponsors for new members, which obviously helps the sponsor feel accountable for someone else and their sobriety, whilst also allows the new person a little bit of a support network. Um, And having someone believe in you, like a sponsor or, I suppose, the sponsee, it's going to be great for your self-esteem, therefore great for your behaviour change. Um, Conformity is the last chapter in this book, and it's... I don't necessarily like this quote, but you see it on Instagram all the time. It's like, you are the product of the five people you spend most time with. It's like, well, nah, like, I grew up in a household where my dad was an, like an engineer slash salesman and my mum was a midwife and then my sister was in business and I was never going to be any of those things because it's, it's just not me and I spent all of my childhood with them. But that there is no doubt that your social circle does influence you but I wouldn't go and say that you're the product of the five people you spend most time with because that just means that a load of rich people are going to seek out rich people and a load of poor people are going to seek out poor people and no one's ever going to believe that they can change who they are. But on the flip side of that, obviously if you're surrounded by a load of negative people, probably get out of there. Now, interestingly, in the book, she talks about this bloke called Scott. can't remember his last name, but Scott was in the Air Force and he was a twin. His twin brother also joined the Air Force and ironically maybe a little bit too ironically for the story um, they're pretty identical academically as well as physically and I can't remember the exacts of this part of the book but essentially when they got to the Air Force although they were identically academic before they joined one of the brothers shot ahead so when one of them actually grew up to be a psychologist He was basically like, right, why did my brother do better than me? So they ran loads of studies on how they can make the Air Force produce the best candidates. And they found that putting good people with good people, bad people with bad people, it was always going to be better to randomly allocate the groups. Because if you put good with good, it doesn't produce great. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily the product of the five people you spend most time with. But that being said, it is definitely important that you hang around with people who are kind of similar values to yourself and similar work ethic and eventually that may level out to earning the similar sort of amounts of money but basically you're going to have to read the book to find out the details of that because I can't remember it and I am only human everybody there was a funny story in the book about hotels so you know when you're in a hotel and I I never knew this right when you're in a hotel and there are signs that say, oh, people who use this room reuse towels because we love to conform and we love the social norms and we love following them. When they put a sign in the bathroom saying, people who use this very room reuse towels, 
a huge 33% of the people who reused the towels were because of that sign. It was an increase of 33%, sorry. So we're quite likely to want to emulate what people who have been in our position before have already done. So when it comes to behaviour change, just look for someone who's already done it. Copy and paste what they've done. Give it a go. And back to the accountability partners thing that we were speaking about. I've used it to great effect before. And I've used it with meditating. Me and my flatmate Giles are essentially, he's con- like he's consistently on my tail with uh, with meditating. And I've used it before to stop watching porn. Like I've, I've said to someone, right, we just won't watch porn. He quit within three weeks, but I'm still going strong. Years later, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. I think it's minging. But, I don't know, maybe that was a bit harsh on people who are in the porn industry, but I just think that the industry as a whole, look at me cover my ass. I think the industry as a whole is not very good for people, and I think there's a lot of paedophiles in it, basically. Um, so there you go, that's my opinion. That may be subject to change, but that is what my opinion is at current. But that's it, really. I hope that I've explained that sufficiently. It was a complicated book. It's It's deeply deep in science essentially and I'm not an academic maybe I'm, I'm I'm getting there in terms of I'm reading loads of books and kind of coming to grips understanding the studies and stuff like that but it is a complicated book but a very very good one so if you're looking to deepen your understanding of behavior change then I highly suggest reading it if you're not that bothered and you just want to change some habits, I would say read Atomic Habits by James Clear, because it's a pretty comprehensive, but also quite simplistic way of looking at behaviour change, um, without having to go into loads of different studies. That being said, this book was one of the best books I've read recently, I think. I'd, I'd go as far to say that, because it kept me turning the pages. With non-fiction books at the moment, I'm struggling with that. So well done, Katie Milkman. And... Uh, the publishers of it did send it to me. I think I'd have to say that. I think it's Penguin. Uh, yeah, th- thanks Penguin for sending me that. Cheers. They don't pay me for it, by the way. They just give me a free book, which is pretty sound. Um, that's it. I've got something new for you, though. Well, it's not new, actually. It's an old thing, but no one sent it to me for a while. It's the Book Doctor. The Book Doctor is returning right now to your ears. So if you want a book, if you want a new book, if you want a book recommendation from me... Please don't just Instagram DM me saying, oh, hi, Ed, I'm looking for this. If you want a chance to be featured in the podcast and to win like a book bag and a bookmark and just a chance to be on a podcast that gets heard by thousands of people, elevate your social status all at the same time. Just kidding. Um, email me, aneedtoread.podcast at gmail.com with a voice note that's like 30 seconds to a minute, kind of just saying, I want a book for this. Can you help me? And I will say, yeah, I can. I'll stick it in an episode. Enough waffle. Here it is. Hi, Ed. I was just wondering what your recommendation would be in regards to a book about confrontation and conflict and how to handle it in regards to confronting, you know, family members or friends or strangers or uh, work colleagues on differing levels, whether it be a small confrontation or a larger confrontation because inevitably conflict or oh, conflict is inevitable and I was just wondering what your recommendation on a book in regards to conflict and confrontation would be right 
firstly, legend, thank you very much for getting involved and thanks for sending that in. I do really appreciate it when people engage with the stuff that I do and help me out with this feature of the podcast. I haven't actually read any books on communication, apart from how to win friends and influence people. Um, But I think that's kind of old. And if you're not in sales, it's not really that useful. Um, So I looked this up. I've kind of learned to communicate through therapy. And I was speaking to my friend Giles about this, and he's he's the same. And we were both talking about nonviolent communication, which essentially, when you do X, it makes me feel like Y. I value people who, for that reason, I am out of here but the person who literally wrote the book on on non-violent commution, communication is Marshall Rosenberg five million copies have been sold well over that and it's called we can work it out if you're going into any sort of conflict thinking right how can I win this argument you've probably already lost which obviously sucks um, but you you need to be able to express your emotions clearly and also then don't be afraid once you've communicated it to be like, oh, you're not receiving this very well. I'm just probably not going to communicate with you again because life is far too short to communicate with people who are just absolute dickheads. There's a quick, I'll tell you what, that'll be the tagline of the episode. Life's too short to deal with people who are absolute dickheads. And I don't mean just people who are like sometimes a bit mean or sometimes a bit irrational or sometimes say things they don't mean. I just mean people who are genuinely not willing to hear what you've got to say when what you say really matters to you. Those people suck. So go for non-violent communication and then you have done absolutely everything right on your part and you can hold your head high and say, oh, I'm not the dickhead here. I've communicated well, I haven't shouted, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't lost control of my emotions, I've just communicated in a non-confrontational, non-violent way, not maybe non-confrontational, maybe that's that's the wrong thing to say, but in a non-violent way, because confrontation is, is going to be pretty consistent throughout your life as, as much as we can try to avoid it, there are always going to be people people close to us that we disagree with, and I think it's it's a great thing that you actually ask that, because... I'm going to read that book too because I've suggested it to you. But yeah, nonviolent communication, it's called, let me just get it up again, We Can Work It Out by Marshall Rosenberg. And I've just sort of researched that in terms of looking at it on Goodreads, looking at Amazon reviews as well, just to see who thought it was good and why they thought it was good. And that is the one that I've chosen for you. So cheers, Bianca. Thank you very much for getting involved. You absolute legend. If you would like to be featured on the Book Doctor, I've already told you how, so send me an email with the voice note. But that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that 40 minutes of waffle wasn't too much for you. If it wasn't, please consider sharing it with a friend. This book is brilliant for coaches. If you're not a coach and you want to change your behaviour, start with Atomic Habits, not how to change first, because it might overcomplicate things a little bit for you. But I love you all. You're absolute legends. Goodbye.